Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. There's a word that comes up every now and then in the church that makes people very uncomfortable. The word is evangelism. Now, some of you will actually say, actually, that word excites me. I, I love the idea of talking with people about my faith. And there are some people that are natural evangelists, not necessarily spiritually gifted to be effective. But there are some people that that's just how they're oriented to the world. I have a, an old friend who's an evangelist for everything. If he has a great meal at a restaurant, for the next three months, he is telling everyone that they need to go to the restaurant. And if he gets something that excites him, if he buys a vacuum cleaner that he loves for the next uh, few months, he's trying to tell everybody that they should get that vacuum cleaner. Uh, so he'll come to you and the conversation could be where he tries to convince you to buy the vacuum cleaner and where you say, you know, I actually don't need a vacuum cleaner. And he'll say, well, the reason that you don't think you need one is because you haven't had this kind of vacuum cleaner. And so uh, this friend of mine became a Christian and then he wound up uh, once he had become a Christian, becoming somebody who is very fervent in talking to people about his faith, because that's what he always does. That's just the way that he relates to the world. Um, now, for some of us who aren't necessarily oriented that way, uh, the word or the idea of evangelism can raise anxieties, issues, and it could raise guilt. Now, some of this is understandable. Life is busy. And most people are not talking about the kinds of things that naturally relate or uh, connect with Christianity. And therefore, it can take so much effort and intentionality that we're just exhausted and we don't do it. Or something practical, like within a workplace, there are certain expectations of, of the kinds of things you do speak about and don't speak about. And, 
And is it appropriate? Will it harm your career? These are understandable questions that we grapple with. But, but if we're honest, there's also a number of things going on with us that keep us from being faithful in talking about the goodness of the good news. We want people to like it, accept us. We're afraid that if they disagree with us, they'll reject us. We're not concerned that they'll reject the message, but we're afraid they'll reject us. We might be afraid that we will enter into a conversation where we then have to respond to questions that we don't know the answers to, and we, we don't like the discomfort of that. There are all sorts of other reasons that can be problematic that keep us from being faithful in this. Um, and yet, every Christian is called to live out their faith, and one of the things that... Um, that comes from our passage is that uh, what is it that controls us in life? Verse 14 says, the, the love of Christ controls us. And today I'm going to be talking about evangelism in the context of a sermon series where we're talking about love. And so we've been talking about these four relationships that in our church, we say as a church, we're committed to the restoration and renewal of relationships with God, within ourselves, with others, and with the world. And so as we've talked about um, uh, love, we've also talked about how love makes a difference um, in our relationship with God, in how it works itself into change in our own lives, how it affects how we relate to others. And now we're just having two weeks where we're talking about how we relate to the world. And there's a lot that could be said, because when we're talking about how Christians relate to the world, it has to do with the arts, it has to do with the environment, it has to do with culture, it has to do with all of these things. But the two primary tasks of the church in the world are to relate to the world, as we'll see in this passage, as ambassadors, um, inviting people to God, and also to go into the world where there's poverty and suffering, and to be generous and to be present and to care for people. And so that's what we're talking about this week and next week as we talk about the love of God. Verse 14, the love of Christ controls us. And I wonder for how many of you, um, when you think of evangelism, if you think of it as just this guilty duty of something that you have to do, uh, or is it rather something that you, you see as an extension of the love of God at work in you and in the world and something that you're part of? And so uh, that's what I'm going to talk about today, uh, about how if the love of Christ is, is compelling us, um, what he goes on to say after verse 14, he says, so we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who lived for us. So we know that he loved us by giving himself for us. And now we love him by living for him. And part of living for him is learning of his ways, embodying them, but also giving the honor to him, speaking to him, and speaking about him. So I'm going to talk about five things today. I'm going to talk about the message, the messenger, the method, the model, and the ministry as we talk about how the love of Christ controlling us sends us into the world to invite people to understand and to connect with the love of God. So first, I'm going to talk about the message. What is it that, that we're trying to communicate to people? What is it that Christianity is basically and most fundamentally about that we want to make sure people hear and understand? And there's a basic storyline that have key details in it. And we see it in this passage. We see it throughout the New Testament, and really the, which is the climax of the Bible. And it's a message about alienation. Um, and so we don't see that word in this passage, but we see the word reconciliation, which assumes that there's alienation, there's a problem between God and humanity. And it's a message about uh, God sending Jesus, who gives himself through death on the cross 
and is raised and we're invited into that. And I'm going to read verses 14 and 15. Uh, we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So that clearly is part of uh, the understanding of Paul who wrote this letter. Verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So the Christian, uh, the gospel, one way of conceiving of it is that it's a message of reconciliation. Now, again, there's a lot of different things that could be said, different angles, different things that could be highlighted. But what's here, we always have to be careful not to take one or two verses and build all of our theology from it. But these verses are fully in line with the other verses that talk about what's at the heart of Christianity, which is that there's a problem between God and humanity, which is solved by God who sends Jesus to die for us and who is raised. And then it works out the implications of that. And, and one implication is that it's through forgiveness. So Jesus's death becomes the means by which God offers us forgiveness, which is how we overcome alienation. And it was also done by God's self-sacrifice, which is that he loved us. And so those two components, uh, the message of God, of, of Jesus coming to die and his being raised and conquering death and having new life, all of these things, uh, communicate a number of things, but at the heart of them from our passage, and you see elsewhere, is it's a message of forgiveness, and it's a message of God's love. So we need to keep that clear as we think about what we're sharing with people. Uh, but that immediately, that framework, that storyline, creates a problem for us, the problem being the, the question of relevance. One of the key issues we have in speaking openly and honestly about our faith and encouraging others with it is that the questions on people's minds are not necessarily those questions. So if somebody is walking around and they come up to you and they say, I believe God exists, I feel terrible about myself, I feel unworthy and I'm afraid of God and I'm afraid of death. Well, then that Christian storyline about Jesus dying for forgiveness and God loving us is an immediate answer. Or if somebody comes and says, I, I believe in God, but I struggle to know is God good? And then we tell the story, well, here's how we know because look what he did in love. So the Christian story connects to some of what people see and experience, but most people are not walking around grappling with these deep questions. They're grappling with the questions of today. And so people are, are worried about their jobs. Will I have work in six months? People are angry and frustrated about what's going on in society. Will there be change? Um, people are bored, having been in their homes for months. Um, people are anxious. People are... Uh, dealing with, with loneliness or frustrated relationships. So those being the fundamental questions, what is, what is a man dying 2,000 years ago so that forgiveness could be offered to us so that we could have life in his name have to do with any of these things? And part of the problem in, in our not knowing how to share with others is because we're not working that into our own lives, that, that something of the Christian message touched on some felt need in us where we're afraid to die, or we have some guilt, or we have some conviction about God, and the gospel satisfies that. But then our concerns tend to be about loneliness and money and vacation and society and whatever it is that's on our minds. And of course, as Christians, we are first and foremost to work these things out into our lives, to reorient everything towards God. 
And so that narrative about alienation, our separation from God has all sorts of implications about our psychological troubles, about our conflicts with people, about why the world is in decay. All of that is an outworking of a, of a world that has gone astray. And when we understand that, then we realize our own specific troubles are not irrelevant to Christianity as though Christianity is about life after death. And then there's this world and what I need to figure out. But, but, but what God has done through Christ works into the details of our lives. So then the forgiveness, the love, the reconciliation starts to pull all things together in our lives. And as we do that in our own lives, then we can avoid the awkward kind of conversations where we feel guilty and think, I need to talk to this person about Christianity. And the topic will never come up. So I need to force our conversation along the way until I could change the topic to talk about the thing that they don't want to talk about. Now, look, sometimes we have to do that. Sometimes people have no natural connection or interest, and we just need to tell the Christian story and message and trust the spirit to work. That's sometimes what we have to do to be straightforward and just say, hey, by the way, can I talk to you about Christianity? But if we're tracking with that narrative about alienation, brokenness, and God who alone solves and offers hope and good news, then when people come to us and they talk about their fears, their angers, their anxieties, there's an honest engagement where we're able to say, I too have trouble with that. And one of the things that I've learned through the Christian message is, and then you can talk to them about it. Now, that's very easy for me to say that you should do. It is not easy to do uh, for a number of reasons. But, but part of making it easier is to be actually just working the Christian story out in your own life and then relating well to people and being interested in people. And as they work their story out and talk about life, you don't have to force your religion on them, but you share the Christian story and, and how your life fits into it and you invite them for how their life could fit into it as well. That's one model uh, that we see. Uh, and, and that seems to be what what Paul is doing when he goes around and he engages with people. So, so the message is a message about God offering reconciliation through the forgiveness of sins that comes through Christ's death, his resurrection, his love for us. That is what we want to communicate and convey. And then we need to work it out into the details, but we never want to get so consumed with the details that then we go for relevance and forget to bring in the heart of the message. So we need to be clear on the message. I'm going to say now something about the messenger. What's important is not just what we speak, but who we are as we speak about our message. And authenticity is needed. Um, verse 11, Paul writing this says, What we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Conscience is really important. We need to live with a clear conscience. The message of forgiveness and reconciliation gives us a new way of life. Not, a, not a, a double life where we live a religious way towards God and to the world, and then we have an inner life, but actually a thorough change. And that's what's in view in verse 12. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Jesus had clear problems with hypocrisy, where we have an outward orientation to the world, um, but an inner difference, which typically translates to an outward, polished, kind of impressing people uh, approach to the world, and an inner rotten, where we, we allow room for the things that we um, are ashamed to admit to people, but we want them to continue because we, we like them, and we think that they're working for us. 
the Christian message is different. The Christian message is God is actually going to do deep change in your life. And therefore, the messenger can never be a hypocrite. Now, that doesn't mean we need to wait till we're perfect before we present the message, because none of us would ever present it. But there's a sense in which we're trying to live out the real life. Uh, and, and therefore, um, it's not something that we can, we can fake. You know, I had a conversation with somebody a while ago who was grappling with something unethical he had done. And his biggest fear was getting caught. And so, so where his heart was at was, what can I do to keep this unethical thing from being found out? Because I don't want the consequences for it. And the interesting thing, this individual is a Christian. And the question I had was, but do you believe that you can keep this hidden from God? <laughs> um, you might be able to fool the world and avoid the consequences. But if you're a Christian, it's a surprising chief goal to think, what can I do to control this so that people won't find out? Because that's part of the problem. That's what we do. We have these secret things and we're constantly trying to control the world around us, which means we have to have an investment in falsehood, which means that, that truth gets obscured. And Christians are called to a different way. There's no hiding anything. And so that's where he begins. Uh, it's with the fear of God, because the alternative is to fear human beings. And here, here I, I'm just remembering a conversation I had with a Christian who was not at all troubled by what he had done or that God had seen it, but he was troubled that other people might find out and there might be consequences. And so many of us continue on that way that then um, when when we try to speak the Christian message, the world responds and says, I don't, I don't see that Christians are any different. We, we're uh, subject to the charge of hypocrisy. And so the messenger uh, needs to be a person of integrity, not a perfect person, um, but a, a person where the gospel is at work, where you're reconciled to God. And in that sense, Christians play the long game. Um, we could be so consumed by the momentary opportunity to engage with somebody that we compromise in order to try to manipulate the circumstances. And what we're told is to have confidence in God and his message and to live it out honestly and to speak honestly. And we may lose particular people along the way, um, but if we are focused on catching those people and compromise long term, the witness of the church is always going to be subject to hypocrisy. You're no different. We need to play the long game. So the messenger needs to be clear. The messenger needs to be living the message. Here's the third thing, the method. Uh, now, I'm not going to talk about an evangelistic program or precisely what you need to do, but at the heart of the way Paul describes what his work is, somebody who had devoted his life and who was very effective uh, the words he uses here, I think, are helpful for us. What are we trying to do? What is God calling us to do? Verse 11, therefore, we persuade others. And then verse 20, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The language there, we're persuading people. We're appealing to people. We're imploring with urgency, uh, with conviction. But we're not manipulating people. We're not coercing people. We're not trying to control people. And it's when we lack confidence in God, his message, the work of his spirit in ourselves, and yet feel guilty that we have to do this task, that we wind up 
confusing things. We're never meant to manipulate or control or coerce anyone. Um, and this goes to even this very good goal of wanting to see all people hear with clarity and understand the Christian message. Uh, and so our method um, means that sometimes things that work in other spheres, uh, you know, so, sort of, let, let's say, for example, there's a lot that Christians can learn from how people in sales do their work. How do you tell a story? How do you get people engaged uh, in, an, in, in, in a conversation? There's a lot that can be learned, but we also have to recognize the way of the Lord is different. And so we have to think critically, is there anything that we're bringing into our methodology that could be problematic? And uh, I haven't done a lot of missions work. Uh, all, all of what I've done has been short term. And, and a number of years ago, maybe a fairly new Christian, four or five years into being a Christian, I was part of a group that uh, went to another location. And there was a Christian church and group there that was going to send us out to knock on doors. And, and the instruction that they gave us was uh, they gave us a survey. And they said, simply explain that we're a church in the neighborhood who cares about our neighbors and we want to find out what sorts of things are you concerned about? Um, and, and, and be prayerful that in the course of that conversation, you might find ways to talk to them about your faith, that you may find some people that have an openness. And I thought this makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm quite shy. I don't enjoy ringing somebody's bell and talking to them, but they sent us out in pairs. Uh, this is not something that, that I naturally want to do, but I recognized the opportunity. We want to serve our neighbors and let's look for ways to commend the faith. So uh, I was assigned to somebody uh, who I did not know when we went around knocking on doors. And when we were done, when the time was up, I had a stack of papers uh, and then the person took them and was going to throw them in a garbage can that, that was nearby. I was confused. What are you doing? Um, we have to hand that in. And she said, why would we hand it in? Well, because this has all of the information about what the concerns of the neighbors are. And her response was that that was just a way to start the conversation. We're not, we're not actually um, taking that information, but, but if we ring the bell and say, we want to talk about Jesus, they're going to send us away. But if we talk about uh, what the church, how the church wants to serve our neighbors, then that could lead to the conversation. Now, this woman was also some, an outsider like me that came. She was not part of the church, but, but it left me confused and actually troubled, not just in that moment, but for years wondering, did I misunderstand? Uh, was she right that this was just a means to start a conversation? Now, I would understand that pragmatically to say people are not going to be interested. And so let's find ways to begin conversations. I have no problem with that. But I have problems knocking on somebody's door and saying, we want to speak to you about Jesus who claims to be the truth, the way and the life. But we want to talk to you about for about 10 minutes prior about things that aren't true. We want to give you the impression of something uh, that's not forthright. We want to have a conversation about our care in the community where we actually may not care for the community. Um, I found myself confused and, and I never got the answer and I, and I hope that she was wrong or that it was more subtle, but I found myself thinking, if you don't care about serving your neighbors, then don't say that you do, just tell them that you want to tell them about Christianity. But it would be good to care about what your neighbors care about. And so see that as an opportunity to talk about something you really want to talk about and see if God can lead it to your heart, to speaking about your heart for the community and how Christianity engages it. And so, so the method that, that the church used, which is there's something that we're going to use simply to get us in, I don't know that we have to do that. We're called to love our neighbors. We're called to be engaged in the world. And is there not something to actually caring about people and what they care about and being 
convinced of God's goodness that creates the opportunities that if we're engaging with people, even if they're different, even if they're um, rough around the edges, whatever it is that makes it hard for Christians to engage others, um, we're real human beings <laughs> that have real humanity in common. Are there not ways that we can care for people so that we can, with honesty and integrity, share the Christian story and the life uh, of their life? And, and if there's no point of contact at some point to say, hey, could, you know, as a Christian, I feel an obligation to do this. Could I just share the story? Um, if there's no natural way to do it, share it unnaturally. But don't, don't manipulate things to make it look natural if it's not. Make it natural or make it unnatural. Be truthful. The method we have is to have integrity, to have confidence in God, his work, his message, and the power of the Spirit, and to be straightforward and to have the gospel at work in you. Fourth, I want to talk about the model. So the model for us, there's a word here that I think gives us plenty to think about for today. So it's not the only model, so I'm calling it the model. There's a variety of ways to think about how we engage the world. But the word ambassador here in this passage, in verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ, I think is a very important word, a very helpful word. Um, because when you think of what an ambassador does, an ambassador lives in one place, even though their allegiance, their experience, their loyalty, they've been shaped by another place. And the Christian message about reconciliation to God is a message about new creation. That's verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, new creation, the old has passed away. And so you see, uh, you know, Colossians 1, how we've been transferred into God's kingdom. There's a sense in which the Christian message is you're invited into the, a future reality, a future age to be citizens of a kingdom under Jesus Christ, our new king, our leader, our authority, the one who loves us. And therefore, we live in this world as ambassadors. And if you think about an ambassador, ambassador lives in a foreign place. And here's two implications. One is they, they live by the rules of that place. You, you know, if, if you need to stop at a red light, uh, you stop at the red light. Those, those are the laws. You, you obey the laws of the place that you're in. Just like Jesus says, give to Caesar what's Caesar's when it comes to paying taxes. Um, but give to God what's God's. And so on the one hand, while we're here in this earth, we engage the world. Um, but on the other hand, our authority, the one we answer to, the one whose pattern we follow, and, and the one whose culture we adapt and reflect in our world is God's. And that dual reality, I mean, especially if you think about um, what, what being an ambassador has been for most of history. Today, uh, you know, the ambassador could just get on Zoom and contact uh, the, 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 the people back in their home country and say, I, I, in my negotiations, I had this real uh, problem. What do I say? Or you don't, actually may not even need an ambassador because somebody could just on their own get in touch with people uh, in, in another country halfway around the world. The world has changed. But for most of history, you put somebody in a ship, send them across a sea, and that person represented their leader, their country, and they had to figure it out and do it and engage um, and it could take a month, for a depending on how far away, for a message to go back. And so they had to be there. This, this identity of we are ambassadors of Christ, that we live here on this world under his authority, according to his ways, so that we can show the goodness, the reality, uh, that with joy and with, with a good form of pride, we can be 
proud of the goodness of the good news and the greatness of Christ. And we can bear witness to that in our world, but we go into our world and we are engaged in it in meaningful ways. And so uh, a quick question, how, how you're doing on this. There's something about evangelism that should be inspiring. But as you talk about what's needed for it, most of us, if we're honest, and we're not always honest, uh, but most of us, if we're honest, it brings up things like, as we talk about the need for authenticity, uh, the sense of guilt to be like, who am I to tell anybody about anything else when I, when I feel worse than they are? And so our shame is at work. Or this guilt to think, you know, this world, everyone's trying to control one another. How could I go in and, and control somebody else, try to, try to make them like me, as though that's what we're trying to do. That's not what we're trying to do. We're saying there's, there's God and there's us, and we're together, but we want to be like God. But you find yourself saying, you know, there are opportunities to speak, and I'm just afraid. I'm really more concerned with advancing in my career than being an ambassador for Christ in the workplace. I'm more concerned at keeping peace with a family member who's hostile to Christianity than speaking the truth. And so there's no getting around. The very topic of evangelism raises the very reason for which we need reconciliation, which is that we and our world is sufficiently alienated that any conversation about God, about true justice, about real love and compassion, about the work of Christ, never fits naturally. It's always troubling. It always raises some issue. And before we go and, and face uh, the challenges of engaging the world about it, we recognize that the message of reconciliation is the most fundamental thing we need across the board. But whether it's the topic of evangelism or anything else that raises for us the fact that we're not good enough, that we haven't been faithful, that we fear people more than God, it's this message of forgiveness being offered and the love of God that keeps us from living by the fear of humanity or by the fear of the dread of God. This passage is filled with so many great verses uh, that I'm just going to highlight one that really helps us. Verse 21, for our sake, he made him, being Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does it mean that God sent Jesus to an alienated people to suffer death for them, to offer forgiveness so that he would love us. This is what's sometimes described as the wonderful exchange. In the alienation, God, who is holy and perfect, humanity, who is sinful and broken. Jesus crosses the divide. God sends his son over that boundary that divides us, breaking down that wall of hostility and reconciles us to himself that he, though he was righteous and never sinned, he made him to be sin, to be the one who bears our sin, to be the one who is overwhelmed by the darkness of our sin, who cries out in the forsakenness of sin, so that we, in him, could become the righteousness of God, a righteousness that's not of our own, but that's gifted to us by grace. God makes us right. We are broken, and God makes things right. He reconciles. And so our standing before God has changed, and then we apply this to our lives so that everything is reoriented, so real change happens. But we so need to remember that exchange because every aspect of living out the Christian life, including evangelism or any other component, 
highlights for us that we're not authentic, we are not worthy, our confidence is in the wrong place. But instead of giving up, we remember Jesus who went before us, Jesus who crossed the divide, Jesus who faced hostility, Jesus who went among his enemy, and he suffered for us. And that now we become the righteousness of God. You know, if there's one thing that makes Christians disadvantaged to do evangelism, it's that the world hates self-righteousness. And you look at the teaching and ministry of Jesus, and God hates it too. We are never to be self-righteous, and that's why we never proclaim a message about ourselves. The world hates self-righteousness, but the world is longing for righteousness. Isn't that what troubles us, is all of the unrighteous things that, that we do and that are built into our world that creates injustice. We're coming and we're saying, as humanity, we are weak, but God offers us a way through. Through love, he has forgiven us. He offers us reconciliation. And this is the, the unique offer of peace that starts to rebuild. It puts away our guilt. It distills our fears. It covers our shame. So we don't go into the world as self-righteous people, but we don't go into the world as unrighteous people. We go into the world in Christ, the righteous one who identifies us in us identifies with us in our sin, and we become the righteousness of God, the ambassador who goes out and bears witness to a better way. That is something our world desperately needs. And if we connect that properly, we'll find that the gospel does its powerful work. And so here's the last thing I want to talk about, the fifth thing, our ministry. What is the nature of Christian ministry? Now, Again, you don't want to encompass everything under one word, so there are different ways of describing it, but the word reconciliation is an important one. Verse 18, all of this, everything that we have, his love, his grace, his forgiveness, Jesus dying for us, his love that comes through Christ that now controls us, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Talking about evangelism today, because one of the ways that we have to engage the world is with this ministry of reconciliation, announcing the invitation. God sends us into the world as ambassadors. God's love is real. God has done something for us. There's a gift that he offers. He will give you life. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Uh, who, whoever you are and whatever you've done and whoever you've been, the invitation is for you. Uh, that's a good and beautiful thing. That's the nature of our ministry. Um, but, but all of life is meant to be seen, the Christian life is meant to be seen as a life of repentance. And so, so the key task is to encourage those who do not know God to be reconciled. But Paul here, in talking about imploring people, be reconciled to God, winds up speaking to Christians. And if you read through the first and second book of Corinthians, you realize that this is a church that believed in a shallow way and there were all sorts of divisions within the church. And Paul talks about that. How are you going to relate to outsiders when they come into your midst, when you're divided, when, when you as a reconciled people are living as though reconciliation hasn't worked its way out? And so the ministry of reconciliation is our engagement with the world, but there's an ongoing realigning everything in our life that is unreconciled. And so, you know, one of the places we use the, the language of reconciliation today is in accounting, where you have these two documents, and where they're out of accord, you want them reconciled, brought into accord. God and humanity are separated. Now we're brought together 
but we're looking at all of the details in our lives and, and realizing this is not in line with God and his ways. And so we reconcile, we, we change, we, we reorient because that's what walking with God looks like. A reconciled people who know his love, his forgiveness, have the freedom and the encouragement to be them, their authentic selves and constantly to see this is not in line with God. I believed a lie. I was confused. I tried to justify myself. I blamed others. And to take that and to reorient it, and that's one of the reasons that we say the whole of the Christian life is a life of repentance, where we see areas that we are not in line with Christ and his ways, where we're still disconnected and we want to realign them. And so in that way, the church as a community, a body reconciled to God, is a community filled with individuals who are doing the work in their own lives and who as a community are encouraging one another, helping one another, but then as a community going out and serving the world. And that service is invite people to be reconciled to God, but also to bring that reconciling reality where God shows us that the ways of Christ, the ways of forgiveness, the ways of patience, the ways of truth and justice are the ways that we engage the world. If we are controlled by the love of Christ, and that's what Paul says is going on, be controlled by the love of Christ, then we're constantly realigning our lives, but we're ambassadors. We stay engaged in this world. Our world is a polarizing world. And you will be pulled in one of two directions. You will be demanded, pick a side. And we actually have to resist that. (laughs) We have to recognize there are divisions that humanity creates. And we need to go into both sides. And we need to go among the unjust with a message of truth, be reconciled to God. We need to go among the hurting and the oppressed to say, here's a message that no matter what anyone thinks, um, your lives matter. God loves you. Um, Here's the truth. The church is meant to be in both places, engaging in both realities. And the only way we're not going to get pulled into any of the cultural narratives, which is not to say there's not truth in culture, which is not to say that we're coming in with an agenda, But we recognize alienation from God always leads to cycles of brokenness. And so we're going to fix today's problems and create the next generation's problems. We want to say, as a people reconciled to God, let's remain connected to God and go into the world and and announce his reconciling ways and believe in the power of his spirit that the things that Jesus has done in our lives, if we're living with them, will we'll bring change to the world, will bear witness to Christ. There's a really b- good book called Reconciling All Things by Emmanuel Katangole and Chris Rice. I could put it in the chat later if people are interested in it. Um, and they talk about a, a, a model for the church, and I'm going to read just a paragraph of their description, and I think it's helpful, and this is what I'm going to leave you with. It says, Christians learn what it means both to be reconciled and to be ambassadors of reconciliation in and through the church, which is called to be a demonstration plot of the social existence made possible by God's gift of reconciliation. The church's vocation is to be an interruption of the story of division and violence in the world, participating with the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, pointing to the peace of God's new creation. Without such interruption, we would not even know the alternative that is made possible by God's new creation. To be a sign and agent of reconciliation, the church must inspire and embody a deeper vocation of hope in broken places. 
Now, there's a lot there. He used the language of demonstration plot. That's actually an, ag an agricultural <laughs> metaphor. Um, and, and I had to look this up. Uh, apparently farmers who have been farming for a long time, you, you, you come in from a university um, where you've studied agriculture and you talk about innovations and they say, we've been doing this for generations. Who are you to come in, a, you know, a 21 year old college graduate and tell me how to farm. And so people are used to their old ways, which is understandable. So what they do is they come up with what they call this demonstration plot, like in your area, in your community, we'll come up with a small plot of land and we'll, we'll show you the new model and method and you'll be there and you'll be skeptical and you'll think it's crazy. But at harvest time, you'll show that some of these innovations actually are better. I'm explaining that just because in the quote, it says the church is kind of that demonstration plot. We, we go into the world where the world says, this is everything that we know. These are our patterns. We're kind of offended that you're going to come in as a bunch of hypocrites when, you, when your own track record doesn't say anything. And, and, and you're going to tell us how to live. And we're not telling people how to live. We're coming in and saying, this is God's new creation. This is the gospel. This is the invitation. And, and we are going to be a community reconciled to God that does that hard work. And the hope is that you will see, not simply by coming into our church, but our church going out into your community, that there's fruitfulness in the Holy Spirit, that the new creation is real, that the gospel is powerful, that forgiveness and the love of God really are transformative. Now, again, we don't need to be naive about this to think that people will love us or that change will be quick or that, that, it, it, you know, that we won't make mistakes. But there is a sense in which this heartbroken world, we can't look for easy answers so we have confidence to go in. We can't avoid the troubles and brokenness, but we're ambassadors. And the calling is wherever there's pain, whenever there's hurting, whenever there's suffering, whenever there is injustice, we, we go in as people saying, well, we're reconciled to God. We're going to be reconciled to one another. And we want to be a demonstration plot, a community that says uh, where the spirit of God is at work, there is new creation. And... And everyone's invited to it. And I do think that that will be an important step for us as, as we're looking at current social conflict. And we think, what does it look like where the church has fallen into um, all of the various ways that, that society is divided? How do we as a people that before we look to each other, look to God and be reconciled, and then see the reconciling work of God work out in our midst? How do we, how do we, how do we repent? How do we turn? How do we become the new community where we recognize uh, we haven't lived by that narrative, the gospel, the death of Christ for us, the new life? And let's do that work of returning, of reconciling all things in our lives and in our community to God. And let's not be afraid to go out into the world with honesty, humility, and integrity, and not show that we are a better people or that ours is a better way, but that God has invited all people to experience his peace. Let's bring that with us. Let me close this in prayer. Our Father, there is a message of hope, and it is hard because our world seems so hopeless. Lord, we confess we get caught up in it. We don't believe the gospel. We don't believe your methods or your means. We are filled with our own angers and frustrations, our own guilt and our own shame. And yet you made Jesus, who knew no sin, upright, perfect, and righteous in every way, he became sin for us so that we who have been touched by sin in every way would become your righteousness. We would become a witness, a message, a, a remolded, a reshaped, a reconciled people who would do the ministry of reconciliation. And so, Lord, 
there is so much about this that we get wrong, that we don't understand, and that we're doing wrong. By your grace, reconcile us to you in deeper and newer ways. I pray for anyone here who is not reconciled to God by the power of your spirit. Open their eyes to see the graciousness of your invitation, the goodness of the good news. And may they um, enjoy joining with you and walking in new life. We pray for us as individuals that we would work that reconciliation. Those who believe, those who have believed a long time, but still have to realign areas in our lives where we have allowed corruption to take root. We pray for Emmanuel as a church, that we would grow in, in overcoming our own barriers, uh, crossing the dividing lines of hostility in whatever ways humans turn against one another. Help us to do that. And help us to engage our world faithfully with a ministry of reconciliation, announcing the good news, of calling everyone to look to the greatness of Christ and to be among those as witnesses of the truth, as messengers of grace. Help us to do that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.